the mayor's office is using a very aggressive and untested interpretation of, of the state mental health law to essentially deputize EMS clinicians to involuntarily remove uh, anyone who's mentally ill and unable to meet their own basic needs. Hello and welcome back to another edition of EMS One Stop. I'm your host, Rob Lawrence. And this week in the news, uh, Mayor Eric Adams of New York City announced his initiative to utilise and employ and use EMS and uh, public safety to help those that are experiencing mental illness, crisis and allow us, and I'm sure we'll discuss what I mean by allow us in a second with our guest, to remove those people from the street and take them to a place of safety, an emergency room, or some other location. But it's fraught with issues, and we also saw this week in the news a op-ed in the New York Times, no less, uh, from uh, Anthony Almagira, who's with the union in FDNY, arguing and discussing why this is a bad idea not only for the patient, but also for the provider, and so we'll get into that as well. But uh, to help me break out this discussion is a returning guest, and I'm delighted to welcome back uh, Doug Wolfberg from Page Wolfberg and Worth. Doug, welcome. Thanks, Rob. Glad to be here. So we were chatting yesterday on something completely different, and uh, you asked me if, if I'd seen this particular issue coming out of New York, and I'd literally just read the uh, New York Times op-ed, which I thought uh, was very good and very thought-provoking. As one of our premier EMS lawyers, allow me to say that, uh, of course, you dug deep, and you're about to come up with an op-ed yourself for our EMS uh, trade publications. So why don't you just highlight the issue and then let's sort of talk about uh, some of your concerns and observations. Yeah, uh, thanks, Rob. So first off, I want to say that, you know, obviously the issues of mental illness and homelessness, particularly in large cities like New York, you know, that that's an intractable problem. It's a crisis. There's no doubt about it. And, you know, this is not, you know, slinging arrows at uh, people who are trying to fix this urgent problem, but I think it's the manner in which they're employing EMS to be, you know, the, the fallback to try to, you know, fix this problem or putting a large burden on EMS to, to solve this problem is really where my concern was, was raised. Um, and the second, you know, issue that I had when I, when I saw this and, and in addition to seeing the reporting on it, I, I went back and actually read the directive that came out of the mayor's office that's actually setting down the rules that city agencies like EMS are required to follow. So, um, and that's where my concerns really uh, were, were raised because the mayor's office is using a very aggressive and untested interpretation of, of the state mental health law to essentially deputize EMS clinicians to involuntarily remove uh, anyone who's mentally ill and unable to meet their own basic needs. Now, I, I we'll talk more about this basic needs uh, theory that the city is using, but what, what this really is, it's a bit of a departure from the usual mental health standard, which is if a person is likely to cause harm to themselves or others, you know, that's a well-known standard where EMS can intervene. 
This is really broadening that standard, and it really seems to be for the mayor's political purpose of so-called cleaning up the subways. You know, and, and I think that initiative is what's being wrapped in a mental health wrapper and bringing EMS in to serve that objective. So there's, there's a lot packed into that, but I think on a high level, that's, that's what I saw when I read uh, the mayor's statement and the actual directive um, toward EMS. Let's get into a little bit of illegalese. Involuntarily remove somebody. If you're the medic on the truck, what standards or what uh, assessment or what conclusions do you have to draw in order to do that under normal circumstances? Yeah, in most states, the standard is a likelihood of imminent harm to self or others. Uh, so this is, a, you know, usually a pretty high standard. A person is, a, you know, expressly uh, communicating suicidal ideations or reliable third parties are communicating that the person was making suicidal ideations or specific threats of violence toward other persons. Um, so it's those really imminent risk of serious harm. Uh, that's been the standard for really for, for decades, as long as these involuntary treatment laws have been in place, that's really been the standard. We start from a place in the United States of individual liberty in making healthcare decisions, right? So to say that I, as a provider, am going to substitute your judgment and impose mine, the law rightfully requires a pretty high standard to do that. And this aggressive interpretation of that law uh, by New York City officials, I fear is putting EMS providers in a no-win situation because on one hand, they're faced with following the directives of their employers. But on the other hand, they're up against a state law, which the city's own press statement says one of the you know parts of our initiative is going to be to have this standard written into state law. So they acknowledge it's not part of state law, but we want we want you to do it anyway. And we're going to keep lobbying to try to get that fixed, but you know, get it changed. But until we do, we expect you to do it anyway, even though it's not in the law. So there's there's just a lot of inconsistencies that a provider can look at and go, well, wait a second, you know, this is the proverbial rock and the hard place. So the standard is has always really been an, an imminent risk of serious harm to self or others, and that's what justifies involuntary intervention. That standard is really being turned into homelessness plus an inability to care for yourself. Take them away. And, and that's what EMS is really being directed to do here. You know, we've had a number of stories this year where politicians have tried to override, tried to influence, tried to dictate the way that we treat patients, the way that we respond to patients, the medication we administer to patients. And it seems to be a, a growing thing to use uh, EMS and public safety, because, of course, there's a police issue, which I'll come on to in a second with this to actually conduct this piece of, uh, dare I say, social cleansing in order to make, you know, the quote unquote, and I'm, I'm making air, air quotes here to make the streets safer. If, you, if you're the medic coming up to, you know, either the guy, you know, in the alleyway by the dumpster, or in this case, down in the subway, and that person's just, you know, sitting there doing literally nothing, and someone said, oh, yes, there's a, there's a person here that needs some attention, and you form the opinion that it doesn't meet your test that you've just described, what, can, what could and should the medic do? Well, that's a great question, Rob, and what I'm afraid of is that if the medic's objective clinical assessment comes to that conclusion, that 
other individuals who are also subject to the mayor's directive, whether it's police or whether it's other crisis team clinicians, the way I read this policy is if and when directed by one of those individuals, you EMS will transport, right? You will remove this person and transport. So it's almost like saying, we really don't care what your clinical judgment is. When told to do this, you'll do it. And and that's the, you know, your question brilliantly raises that concern, right? If, if a non-clinician, say a police officer, directs EMS to remove the individual, and my assessment as an EMT or a medic is, uh, yeah, they're not mentally ill, and I don't see any evidence of serious risk or even any evidence of an inability to take care of oneself. Um, my judgment is I don't believe they meet that standard. Says, and then the guy with the badge and the gun says, "Take them anyway." Right? So, and and I think you know that raises all kinds of questions about you know whether we are upholding the individual civil uh, civil rights and liberties of the person involved here. Um, and that concerns me. And it's, you know, we've talked about this before too, Rob, you mentioned, you know, laws that direct, you know, that prescribe how drugs can be given in what circumstances. I mean, look, I would have this, and I have on this show expressed concerns about EMS providers doing things just because law enforcement tells them to, Right. It's still, it always has to be based on an individual clinical assessment. And here I feel like the EMT, I fear that the EMT or paramedics clinical assessment is being subordinated to the directions of others who may not be clinicians. Well, and, I think, uh, sorry, I was going to cut in because I think yeah, uh, no, the, 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 the directive or the, the direction is the polar opposite of the Colorado ketamine issue. In co- of course, as you mentioned in Colorado, you know, we said that or it, it was said that the cops should not influence the, the clinician in administering the drug. Hey, we're on scene. He's acting up a bit. Just give him a little something to calm him down. No, very clearly the medic has, has to form the opinion that that person is in need of that particular treatment. Here, it's said if the cop says so or the person says so, you've got to do it. So they're polar opposites. That, that's sort of my reaction to what you just said there. But also, I think that another conundrum that's about to occur is I think also there's a missive or directive that the, a police officer should be riding in with these people. They are in the same manpower woe circumstances we are. And so I'm sure that at some point, police chiefs will weigh in without a doubt, or police unions, perhaps. You know, it's interesting, Rob, in the mayor's press release, uh, there was a litany of obligatory praise, uh, you know, from department heads and department chairs in the uh, in the city government. I, You know, the mayor's plan boldly, you know, addresses this issue and it's time for, you know, and we support. Yeah, so there's all of the obligatory head of agency praise in, you know, heaped on the mayor in the press release. But absolutely, not only, and we haven't even talked about the part of the policy that directs the EMS crews wait until hospitals register these patients before they can leave, but we're also tying up those those police officers. And we know, I mean, you and I have been in the field and every you know, most people listening understand how well it goes over when a medic tells a cop, you have to come with us, right? We know that police officers, by and large, do not like to accompany us during transport and be on the ambulance. This policy does clearly direct uh, mandates law enforcement to accompany uh, EMS during the transports. Um, so yeah, we've got a lot of unit hours 
on the table here where those ambulances and those law enforcement units are going to be out of service. You and I and uh, Steve have discussed uh, ambulances taken hostage and being stuck at hospital on the wall, on the ramp, whatever whatever you, your term is for it, wherever you are. This could potentially, as you mentioned, add to that. Uh, it's going to cause some anxiousness amongst our police colleagues. Five years ago, we'd, we'd been having a podcast about what I used to euphemistically call the HOJ calls, right? The hospital or jail calls. The, the police officer would say, just, you know, jump in the truck. Therefore, I don't have to assume custody of that uh, of that person. But now we're combining both. And if EMS has to go, the cop has to go too. And I'm sure there's going to be further commentary on that. That said, of course, you know, we, we do acknowledge there is a mental health, behavioral health issue that we're trying to get around. Obviously, you know, we just introduced 988 this year, and that's sort of an, another growing uh, line and growing service. They've started this program and there's not a lot of stuff backing up just yet, but hopefully that will fix that as we go forward. But talk about uh, ambulances held hostage, you, myself and uh, Steve Worth, and you've written that amazing series at EMS One. But we're now sending yet more ambulances that we probably don't have with staff that we don't have at the moment to hospital to wait even longer. And I think the only hospitals that have signed on for this, whether they had a choice or not, were the public ones. Uh, nobody's talked about and nobody's talked to, I don't think, from listening to the mayor's press conference, the private ones. So you're all going to have a massive queue at a number of just uh, small publicly funded hospitals. That's no solution, surely. Not at all. I mean, yeah. And we have to have some sympathy for the hospitals here because they're overburdened. They're understaffed. Uh, their personnel are, you know, no doubt going through a lot of the same things that EMS folks are. And, you know, but in terms of that handoff, you know, this policy says, and I'm just going to quote it now, EMS must remain with patient until they have been registered by the hospital as a patient. Now, first of all, you mentioned the ambulances held hostage series. We have a concern that that statement that I just read would be superseded by federal law. It'd be in conflict with federal law because EMTALA clearly assigns the legal duty for a patient to the hospital upon arrival on hospital property. So any state or city rule that purports to delay when that duty begins would be in conflict with federal law. So that, that's the first problem. But on, from a system standpoint, you can just imagine, everybody listening can imagine, you know, the, the personnel inside the emergency department going, yeah, we, we can't take them yet. We, we're not, we can't register them yet. You're going to have to wait, right? So everybody would acknowledge, especially in big cities, that that offload delay problem is a substantial issue today, add this. And I, I just, I think the system's going to get awfully close to what we all fear would be a breaking point. I'm going to come back to you on that point. But first, let's just have a quick message from our sponsor. Lexapol empowers first responders and public servants to best meet the needs of their residents safely and responsibly serving more than 2 million public safety and government professionals in over 8,000 agencies and municipalities. Lexapol offers a range of solutions that includes policies, training, behavioral health resources, news and analysis, and grant assistance services for law enforcement, fire rescue, EMS, local government, and other agencies dedicated to public safety. To learn more, visit lexapol.com. That's L-E-X-I-P-O-L.com. 
Welcome back. Yeah, I'm talking to Doug Wolfberg of PWW, and we're talking about uh, the recent announcement and press conference and directive from uh, the mayor of New York City and uh, cleaning up the subway, dealing with uh, behavioral health, mental health patients, uh, you decide. But uh, one of the things that just struck me uh, during the break there, and, and this is not something I expect you to answer me, but as we all know that police chiefs and fire chiefs work at the pleasure of their mayors. And so if this mayor is saying, do it, the fire chief and therefore the department will feel pressurized to do it, even though from a legal standpoint, and we've discussed federal law, we've discussed MTALA, and we've discussed state law because this still isn't law. This is just a directive. We'll feel obliged to do it. And so that's putting the fire chief and all the medics of FDNY in a pretty interesting conundrum. And uh, you don't have to answer that, but that's kind of my observation on that. We'll see how that plays out uh, as as more and more people comment. And I think that's where uh, Anthony Almagira went in his uh, New York Times op-ed as well, that this is really putting the provider in the middle of all this when they shouldn't be there. But again, you don't have to comment on that. That was just my observation uh, because you're a lawyer, Doug, and you'll give me a de- it depends answer. But uh, we'll... Uh, we'll-, <laughs> well, Rob, actually, the answer I would give is that, you know, what I'm afraid of is that clinicians, you know, the providers are going to be put in the hot seat here because if if they're the ones who are involuntarily removing individuals and transporting them, who don't meet the standard articulated in the state law, but fall under this mayoral policy? Um, I don't. I don't know if that policy is going to be enough, you know, to protect the individual practitioners from claims of false imprisonment or civil rights uh, violations. You know, that's what concerns me. I, I really don't want to see the uh, frontline providers put in a bad spot. And I'm sure that the leadership of those departments doesn't want to see that either. Um, but I sure wouldn't want to be the test case um, on the wrong end of a lawsuit, uh, you know, when this when this comes up. So this action will have consequences, and you've just highlighted a few of those in terms of, uh, you know, we put ourselves at some degree of risk. Um, I was always taught on this side of the pond anyway, that uh, taking a patient without consent is kidnapping. Um, so, uh, you know, other than other than being in a 5150 mental health, behavioral health hold, and so this could be a exercise in mass kidnapping, perhaps, uh, if you want to sort of look at it <laughs> look at it that way. What are, what are the downstream consequences of all of this? Well, uh, so kidnapping would be a criminal, uh, you know, charge. The uh, civil equivalent would be false imprisonment. Um, I, I don't have a lot of fear that uh, providers are going to get charged criminally with kidnapping, particularly since the charging authority would be F, uh, NYPD and they're under the same umbrella here. So, but it's the civil suits that, you know, the, the third parties, the patients are under no restriction. You know, they can bring those lawsuits, certainly. So that's, that's what concerns me. But I think the downstream consequences, you mentioned the uh, New York Times editorial uh, by, uh, by the paramedic uh, the union representative, you know, I think that in addition to the strain on the providers, we're just increasing the sheer numbers of interactions that pose risks to those providers, right? We're putting them in more dangerous situations more frequently. So that's a concern. Uh, Secondly, the system implications are that we are going to be uh, taking lots of very valuable unit hours out of service without a doubt. Uh, and I don't know how we explain to the person or the family member of a person who has a STEMI, a stroke, suffers trauma, who has a truly time-sensitive medical emergency, uh, 
uh, when we're spending hours, you know, in emergency departments in these low acuity offload delay situations. So I, I don't know how we, we look a person in the eye and make that argument. So I'm worried about that. These are foreseeable system failures, right? Tort law turns on foreseeability. Gee, how did we know the ambulance was going to be delayed? Well, because we just implemented a damn policy that requires they spend hours on end in emergency departments. So it's foreseeable. And I'm worried about, you know, not just the human consequence, but also the liability issues. So there, and then lastly, I would say, I think the, the wellness and the well-being of our responders, um, you know, is already at a point where we've never seen it like this, right? I mean, it's good that it's talked about more. It's good that there's more awareness of it. Um, but, you know, I, I just think the problem is so acute right now in the post-pandemic world because everybody's overworked. All agencies are understaffed. We're asking people to do more and more and more and more. Um, I just worry about the toll it's going to take on people. So I, I'm concerned for patients whose you know liberties are going to be at issue here. I'm concerned for practitioners whose wellness is at issue. I'm concerned about the EMS system whose capacity is at issue. And I'm concerned about the individual practitioner's exposure to risk and liability here. So I'm, I'm concerned about this on a lot of levels. No good deed goes unpunished for the mayor because uh, his intention to do one thing by implementing another isn't uh, the right way to go. Also, just another thought that uh, kind of sprung to mind is that we're assuming that uh, the patient needs to be stretcher bound to get on the ambulance in order to go to the hospital. We know out there in other parts of the country, and I certainly know out in Alameda County, for example, they have a service where it's not an ambulance, it's actually a behavioral health care professional in a car or a vehicle that can also transport. And so perhaps that's something that uh, we need to, if, if this is going to be a thing, it needs to be the appropriate equipment, the appropriate person in, with the appropriate training and skill to deliver this service. And uh, perhaps that's something else that uh, they should look at. Absolutely. I mean, specialized teams um, and, uh, and and the things that you talk about make a lot of sense. I, what I don't think makes a lot of sense is pull, you know, EMS is a safety net service for true acute emergencies. So what I, I think doesn't make sense is, you know, pulling those units uh, out of service and out of availability for the community uh, for the types of things that that we're talking about here. So um, absolutely. And, and you mentioned, uh, you know, what they're doing in Alameda County. They call that the CAT uh, Community Assessment and Transport Team Program. Absolutely. There are innovative models out there where, you know, systems can be can be established that are specifically intended to deal with this while preserving the true EMS safety net. Um, and that's critical. And I, and I just, I see they're, they're, you know, they're paying scant attention to that in New York anyway, because, you know, just devoting these EMS resources, tra- mandating, mandating them that they transport them to hospitals, hospitals are going to do what they do. And then these folks are going to be right back out in the streets and in the subways. And, you know, this is going to create a, a new revolving door, Uh, of issues and add the layers of risk and complexity that we've already talked about. Right, indeed. And uh, as many people listening know that uh, sometimes the behavioral health patient literally gets the sandwich and a a little bit of a warm up and then the revolving door applies, as, as, as you say. And so that's one issue. I don't think we've heard the last of this, Doug. I think this is going to rumble on. I think a lot of people 
are going to weigh in, uh, not least the feds on Intala and the state on their law. Um, obviously, we've got the Bureau of EMS for the state of New York. They may well have to uh, opine on this as well. I think uh, this is going to rumble on. Um, and so, you know, obviously, you're going to be watching closely. But uh, what do you want to happen in the end? Well, that's a, that's a great question. Yes, we only we ask great on. questions here, Doug. Yeah, we will be watching closely and, you know, obviously we'll we'll report out, you know, if we see legal activity and lawsuits and that sort of thing. I mean, what I want to happen, I think your idea of specialized teams for this kind of thing makes sense. But what I really want to happen is I want the citizen, you know, I I want anybody who's served by an EMS system uh, to not be misserved, ill served by that system. And this is just an unfortunate misallocation of those critical safety net resources. It's not to detract from the seriousness of the mental health problem. It's not to detract from the crises of homelessness and 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 the things that the mayor try, is trying to deal with. Those are laudable objectives. I just think picking your EMS system as the way to handle it is, is the wrong choice. Um, so what I want to happen is I want EMS to be allowed to do EMS. Uh, and I want the patients who need EMS to be able to get it when they need it. Um, and I don't think this plan serves either of those goals. Excellent answer. We are the last great health and social care safety net. But in this case, uh, the, the net isn't going to bag what the mayor hopes it will get. Classic journalist question I always ask at the end. Is there anything I haven't asked or anything you hadn't told me? No. One thing I teased earlier, but I didn't come back to was uh, was this uh, uh this new standard that I mentioned that the, that the city is trying to adopt, which is called this basic needs standard. So I, I just wanted to go back and, and tie that loose end up that, you know, this instead of a serious imminent risk to self or others standard, which is the one that we all know and can quote, you know, for, for decades, you know, an inability to meet basic needs, right? So that's the standard that the city is saying justifies involuntary intervention by EMS. And, uh, you know, if that doesn't say we're looking to EMS to cure social ills, I don't know what does say it. Um, so, again, I just think it's the picking the wrong agency to solve the wrong problem. Uh, but I just wanted to put a bow on that issue. Otherwise, no, nothing else to add. Your, your questions, as usual, cover the topic uh, thoroughly. So thank you for this opportunity. And you said that last bit exactly as I wrote it down for you. So uh, thank you for doing that. Uh, we know how to follow you, Doug, but how can we follow you? Sure. Yeah. Uh, PWWEMSLaw.com is our web presence. Uh, we have a pretty robust presence on LinkedIn, uh, some, some presence as well on Facebook. Uh, but, um, those are the, the three best channels uh, to find us. When you jump on our website at pwwemslaw.com, you can stick an email in, address in there and you'll get on our email list because uh, we do push out a lot of bulletins about things like this. So appreciate you asking. We both believe this is going to rumble on. We both believe others are going to weigh in. Uh, there's a lot more work to do, even if this thing does happen by the power of the mayor's influence. Of course, as I said in the podcast, this is just public hospitals. Uh, the private hospitals haven't stuck their hand up yet and put their hat in the ring and said, yes, we'll take these people at either Medicaid, Medicare or for free, no pay. So that's something else that's uh, got to be considered for the moment, Doug. 
thank you for your time. Thanks, Rob. It's been a pleasure. So don't forget, you can follow us on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, Podbean, and Amazon Music. And of course, if you're enjoying the show, please take a moment to rate and review us on the platform that you're listening to us on. Don't forget, you can follow me on Twitter at UKRobL1, or I'm always over on LinkedIn, ready to uh, have a chat and click that uh, connect button. So this has been EMS One Stop. It's been a pretty uh, provocative uh, and I'm sure comment-worthy podcast, and we look forward to reading those in the comments section on the platform. But for the moment, I've been Rob Lawrence. He's been Doug Wolfberg. This has been EMS One Stop, and until next time, bye for now. <laughs>